Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, the show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Welcome back. Good for you. Look at you playing the podcast and listening to these two guys. Good job. Good job. Bravo. We're here for encouragement. Maybe you needed some today. Maybe you needed to be encouraged, and there you go. We are your family-friendly, encouraging pastors. Yeah. Yay, you. Hey, <laughs> we're in Second uh, Chronicles 23 through 25, and uh, also John chapter 16, verses 16 through 33. Uh, Second Chronicles, man, I'm enjoying Second Chronicles. I've always loved it because it's so... It's, it's so illustrative. I feel like every time I read it, I'm like, oh, there's a million things I could get from this. It's hard to narrow yeah. it down, really. Yeah. It's almost, and it's better than kings because you don't have to go, okay, where am I? Am I, am I Israel? Am I yes. Judah? Yes, so helpful. We're just dealing with Judah. Just Judah. Every and, now and then, there's a little bit of Israelite king sprinkled in when they're okay. relevant to the story of Judah. And never in a good way. Never in a good never way. Never in a good way. The, the king in view here, as we jump into Second Chronicles 23, is, uh, is Joash. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you, you remember we ended last time with Athaliah killing all of the, the, the heirs to the throne, except there was one, and that was Joash that was hidden away. Dude, so okay, we didn't talk about it, and I was just dying to say this. The kingdom of David had almost come to Imagine being one almost. of those people. Imagine being one of those people who said, oh, the heir to the throne is dead. Like for six years, these guys thought the promises of God had failed. Right. The, for six years. Right. Right. Incredible. I mean, I would be disoriented for six years. He's got to struggle with that until at, at the seventh year, God steps in and is like, ta-da. Yeah. yeah, and he steps in through this one guy. One Jehoiada. guy. Jehoiada. Man, Jehoiada's the man. Like, he, even just the way it opens up, but in the seventh year, so six years pass, Joash is being hidden. Mm. Then the seventh year comes, and Jehoiada's like, it's time. It's time. It's time. We're, we're getting Athaliah out He's of the, the way. Man. We're restoring the kingdom to the Davidic dynasty. Mm. And so he goes and he gets Joash in chapter 23 and he gives instructions to all the priests. It's a manly scene. He's like, hey, get your weapons and get in the temple and yeah. we're guarding this guy. Man and up. nothing's going to happen. That's right. And what we see here, I think, through Jehoiada is really another example of God's grace and mercy towards his people. You have Athaliah. You had had rebellious kings. You had had... Israel was stumbling and tripping and falling over itself and over its leaders. And God could have just let Athaliah go. Well, I mean, he couldn't have because of the Davidic covenant. But this is God's grace and mercy through Jehoiada, preserving Joash to be able to bring some reform back to the nation of of Israel represented through Judah at the time here, the southern tribes. And so you've got Jehoiada. Jehoiada, it says was so influential over Joash that look at 24.1 in the next chapter. It starts, Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Okay, that's a common refrain, except this time we find out why. All the days of Jehoiada the priest. Jehoiada was so impactful and such a godly man over this period of time, this stretch of time, that look at down in verse 16 of chapter 24. It says that even after Jehoiada died, they buried him in the city of David among the kings. Mm-hmm. So here you have a priest who was so influential for good for the people of Judah that he was honored even as one of the kings 
themselves. Yeah, and it, it stands to stands a reason here that Jehoiada is the is the one who held the kingdom together. Mm-hmm. I mean, granted, it wasn't him he himself, but his wife that hid Joash in the first place. I'm mm-hmm. sure with his approval, his leadership, man, the entire nation benefits from this man's strong life, strong leadership, and for a period of time. Judah does really well because of this man stepping into the void and the gap of leadership. What an incredible man this was. Indeed, and, and he wasn't a king. And I, th- I think that's a good encouragement for us. When we, as believers, are looking around at our culture, at our society, we may not be the ones making the decision make the, the decision policies and, right. and everything else and putting those into place, but we can be Jehoiada's. We, we need more Jehoiada's in our church today and, and more people like Jehoiada's wife who was godly in her own right in that mm-hmm. regard. And so we need that as we think about our country, as we think about our nation, as we think about our state here in Texas where we find ourselves and, and just wanting to make a broader impact, our cities even as we drill down even further. And we need to be godly people and live godly lives and take action when action needs to be taken and take courage in the Lord the, the way that uh, Jehoiada did here with, with Joash. Yeah, Robert Murray McShane is famous for saying, what my people need most from me is my holiness. And sure, he was a pastor, and so he had different responsibilities than you might have. But the same is true for you and for I. What people need from us is our holiness. Jesus said that we would be salt and light, and we can't do that effectively without having the kind of life that is salty and lit up. Jehoiada dies, though, buried with, one of the, with the kings or among the kings. And then you get to chapter 24, and, and I titled this one because I know, Pastor Rod, you love my I titles. I love your titles. And, and this one is called, Will the Real Joash Please Stand Up? Oh, wow. You like that one? I, I do. That yeah. one's my favorite yet. Yeah, You're going to have a hard time topping that one. There you go. There you go. I'm, I'll try later on. But uh, will the real, real Joash please stand up? Because Jehoiada's gone, and now all of a sudden— Joash begins to make some really foolish decisions. Mm. And uh, what he does here, in essence, in chapter the rest of chapter 24, is he kind of follows in the footsteps of his ancestor, Rehoboam. He's got these counselors, the, yep. the princes, that surround him and begin to kind of flatter him, I think, for lack of a better term. And then he's got one guy named Zechariah. And Zechariah comes to him and calls him out and confronts him and, and says, what you're doing is wrong. You need to stop doing these things. And instead of following Zechariah and the godly counsel, he, like Rehoboam, he follows the fools mm. and he mm. pays for it. Um, he ends up doing evil and doing wicked, and, and he himself ends up forfeiting his life because of his foolishness. Yeah, and it's so sad to see this story unfold because you read quickly in verse 20, Zechariah is just no prophet of God. He's not some Joe Schmo that you only have a couple lines about. It's very likely that Joash would have known Zechariah personally because Zechariah was the son of Jehoiada, the Mm. very man who acted like a father and mentor to him. So this scene is meant to be tragic on multiple levels. Not only does Joash violate the commandment of the Lord, but he also violates the covenant that he had with Jehoiada, Mm. Zechariah's dad. And by his very hand, in verse 21, it says, they conspired against Zechariah, and by command of the king, they stoned him. What a sad, tragic story, which reminds us in part, one thing that it reminds us of is that our our faith has to be more than the superficial reflections of those that we live with or those that we hang around with or our social interactions. Unless and until your faith becomes your own, it's unstable. Jehoiada had a faith that was dependent upon uh, Jehoiada the priest. And here you see it, and it's terrible and tragic ramifications. Absolutely. And in verse 22, we get this line from Zechariah. As Zechariah is dying, he gives this one final prophecy. It says, And when he was dying, he said, May the Lord see and avenge. 
And that's exactly what happens in the rest of chapter 24. Uh, the army right. of the Syrians comes, and, and it says, even though just with a few men, the Lord delivered into their hand a very great army because Judah had forsaken the Lord, the yep. God of their fathers. And thus they executed judgment on Joash. And there we're reminded again of God's sovereignty. Uh, we, we think about it even with exile in the future. We'll get there. You know, Babylon comes, and it says the Lord delivers Judah into the hands of Babylon. Here he delivers Joash into the hands of the, these, uh, these Syrian, uh, the Syrian army that came with less men than Joash had himself. And yet, because God is sovereign and executing judgment, he uses this, and Joash meets a tragic end. It says, so he died. And, and notice the contrast here between Joash the king and Jehoiada the priest. Jehoiada died and was buried among the kings. Mm-hmm. Joash, it says down in verse 25, he died and they buried him in the city of David, but they did not bury him in the tombs of the kings. Mm. And there again, you see the, the contrast there, that Jehoiada is honored, though he wasn't a king, as a king. Joash, because of his foolishness, was, though he was a king, not honored in the same way and not buried among the kings. And so uh, chapter 23 and 24, the reign of Joash, the, all the good stuff really has more to do with Jehoiada than it does to do with Joash. And we need to aim to be like Jehoiada, have a, a positive influence on others, push them towards Christ-likeness, and make sure ourselves that we are surrounding ourselves with Jehoiadas ourselves. Uh, who's the, the, the biggest influence in your life right now? Are they believers? Are they Christians? Are they mature Christians? Or are you surrounding yourself with the foolish counsel of the world and, and tempted to go after that? There, there's one route that we need to go as believers, and we need to surround ourselves with godly men. Amen. Amaziah comes next. My title for this chapter, chapter 25, is A Divided Heart. And that's kind of what we see with Amaziah, and it's in the description in verse 2. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, yet not with a whole heart. Mm. Half-hearted discipleship right there. Yeah. And, and the, the picture there is is clear. Amaziah begins to flirt with Israel again, the northern tribes, and he goes to them for help in uh, in war against the Edomites. And God calls him out through a, a prophet and says, what are you, what are you doing? Uh, I, I'm able to help you. You don't need to, to go after Israel. Trust me. I'm able to take care of everything that you need here. And Amaziah listens to his credit, but the damage is already done mm-hmm. because later on in chapter 25, after he tells Israel, hey, hit the road, Jack. I don't need you anymore. Go home. The Israelites on the way home, it says down at the bottom, but the, the men of the army whom Amaziah sent back, verse 13, not letting them go to, to battle with them, raided the cities of Judah from Samaria to Beth Horon and struck down 3,000 people in them and took much spoil. These guys. Yeah, don't don't glaze over that. That's a direct result of Amaziah's foolishness in trying to bring Israel into this battle in the first place. It's part of God's judgment against Judah for partnering with Israel is how these guys go back and, and raid the cities. But Amaziah goes after the Edomites, and he wins. God's word comes true. Mm-hmm. God said, I- I'm able to do this, and he does it. And then Amaziah, talk about a divided heart. What in the world is he doing? He goes after all of the gods and the false idols that the Edomites left behind after he had defeated them. He just destroyed these guys. And, and he's like, oh, let me, let me take with some of their idols. Right. Let me play with these guys. Right. And, 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 and maybe you're not familiar with, with what would happen in uh, the ancient culture there. Think back to when, when uh, the Ark was captured. And they brought the ark into the temple of Dagon, right? Mm-hmm. Remember the Philistines did that? And remember what happened to the, the, the statue of Dagon? It fell down right, right. before the Cut ark. his head off. And then, yeah. It, and the, the reason they brought it into the temple of Dagon, though, is because it, at the time, the conquering nation would take the gods of the, the foreign nation and defile them and desecrate them because it was a sign of my God is better than your God. Mm-hmm. And here you have Amaziah. And Judah taking the gods of the defeated nation. So even from a worldly perspective at this time, this is uh, just a a brainless move. I mean, Mm -hmm. what is he thinking? And certainly, as it turns out, he's confronted. Um, 
and he's called by uh, a prophet to say, hey, you need to, to not do this. The, the prophet says from the Lord, why have you sought the God of a people who did not deliver their own people from your hand? What are you doing? He unfortunately doesn't listen to him. Um, and the, the prophecy says, I know that God is determined to destroy you because you've done this and not listened to my counsel. And again, that's exactly what happens. It's kind of a fool's errand for that prophet. Uh, he's approaching a fool who doesn't want to hear. And clearly he's already demonstrated a, a, a kind of an, a mentality of being unwilling to listen, to seek the Lord. And that's what distinguishes him among some of the other kings. One of the things that stood out to me that I think is helpful to to take consideration of is even in the New Testament, when you repent, you turn from your sin, you put your faith in Christ, uh, God often will show grace and mercy in the consequences of the thing that you are pursuing, but not always. In the case here of Amaziah, the consequences of his bad decisions were, were somewhat mitigated, but not always fully avoided, as you see here. So one thing to, to take note of, is as you're following Christ yourself, you want to be sure to excavate any of these half-hearted attempts to follow the Lord. Mm-hmm. Remember, he's a half-hearted man. He's not fully devoted. He's half half there, half somewhere else. He's trying to flirt with Israel. He's trying to flirt with the gods of Edom. He's all over the place. Christian, make sure that your heart is fully allegiant to Christ and Christ alone. How can you tell? Well, there's probably several ways, but you should examine your heart. Test me and know me, you might pray to the Lord, and see if there's any wicked way in me. All of us stumble in a multitude of ways. Your job is to be aware of yourself, to be aware of your heart, to test it so that you're not like Amaziah. Because you might get into trouble, and the consequences may still linger for years after you've been forgiven. Absolutely. Absolutely. The way the rest of the story goes, Amaziah's pride is what proves to be his downfall. Mm. He bows up against Israel, probably for raiding those villages like we talked about there and killing the 3,000 people. And he challenges the, the king of Israel. And the king of Israel says, what are you doing? Go home. And, and almost condescendingly, well, not almost, very condescendingly, he calls <laughs> him a, a little bramble or a little thistle. And he's like, go, go away. What are you doing? And yet Amaziah persists and, uh, and he is defeated. And ultimately he dies as a result of his sin. Um, so Amaziah's reign was a tragic one uh, in the end as well. Well, let's flip over to our, our New Testament reading in John's Gospel. And one of the things that, that I noted here, as again, upper room discourse, Jesus is on his way to the cross. He's preparing his disciples for his eventual departure, and he knows that this is going to be difficult. And he knows that there's going to be sorrow. And as I was reading this, what really struck out to me was verse 20. When Jesus said this, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful but your sorrow will turn into joy. Hmm. Now, contextually, he's talking to uh, the disciples. He's talking to uh, those that he has uh, been preparing for the cross, and he, he's getting them ready for he's going to die on the cross, and, and everybody's going to be celebrating that, and the disciples are going to be weeping over that. So contextually, in the immediate context, that's what's in view primarily. But the other thing I think that we can take away from this is just that this is the general Christian hope mm. that we're going to have trials and tribulation and suffering, and we're going to we're going to walk through this world, and the world is going to be cheering and celebrating things that cause us to weep and lament. And again, not to revisit it over and over and over again, but at the same time, we we find ourselves in a month where the world is celebrating the the desecration of marriage mm. and uh, and the perversion of God's plan for for marriage and, and sexual relations between a husband and a wife only. And they're celebrating this, and they're joyful over it. And as Christians, it causes us, us to mourn. Or maybe you're suffering because of 
persecution in the workplace or wherever it may be. There's a hope here that we can have that our sorrow will one day be turned to joy. And the reason comes at the end of chapter 16, when Jesus says, in the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That's right. Don't forget that. Yeah. So I would say in addition to that, Pastor PJ, that our hope is anchored to the unchanging nature of who Christ is. And you get to see that in this very chapter. Do you notice, Christian, who's reading the Bible with us? Jesus says in verse 28, I came from the Father and have come into the world. So that's a small phrase. You, know, you might be tempted to read quickly past, but he's talking about his preexistence. Mm. He introduces this topic that he'll continue in the next chapter in verses 5 and 24. But he's saying, look, I've arrived on the scene here, and this isn't the beginning of me. This is not the end of me. You're going to see the destruction of my body very shortly, but I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father, you might say, because he's saying that's where I came from. So our hope and our confidence is not grounded on a changing reality. Our hope is not grounded on the weather being good or the politicians being conservative or whatever other things that you're thinking about. Our confidence, our hope, and yes, our joy is grounded in the unchanging nature of Jesus Christ. We praise God for that because that's all that we really need. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Well, that's another Daily Bible Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. And we enjoyed we look it. Forward to, we did enjoy it. We look forward to joining you again tomorrow. Hasta mañana. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast.